Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. So needless to say, my name's Anthony, and I'm one of the ministers here at York Street, and it's my joy to be able to lead us around the Word today. Today we're going to uh, launch our new sermon series for Term 1 called The Upside Down Kingdom, looking at the Gospel of Luke as we lead up to Easter this year. Does anyone happen to know that it's exactly the halfway point between Christmas and Easter at the moment, even though you're probably already months into hot cross buns, but that's okay. This term at Yorkie, we're going to study the Gospel of Luke, as I said, as we, we move towards Easter. And um, the, the Gospel of Luke reveals how, how the world we live in values power, wealth, and status, and holds these things as, as currencies of success. The kingdom of the world is where the strong thrive, where rich people dominate, where the marginalised are often overlooked. Whereas God's upside-down kingdom operates on principles of love, compassion, humility. In the kingdom of God, the greatest are those who serve one another. The first are those who put others first. And like the scriptures say, the meek inherit the earth. It's a kingdom where grace reigns, forgiveness abounds, and every individual is valued and loved as a child of God. And this seems completely countercultural to the world that we live in, right? And so as we, we move towards Easter weekend, celebrating all that Jesus has done for us at the cross and through his resurrection, we want to spend some time in the next few weeks looking at who this man is, what he's all about, how he lived his life, and how we can use that as an example in the way that we live ours. We soon realise that that God often has an upside-down approach that, that we, we can't always understand in worldly terms. God set up his kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, in an upside-down sort of way. Sometimes seems back to front. God, God loves to contradict those things of the world. In God's upside-down kingdom, the greatest person is not the person who's at the top or who's in, in charge of everyone else or that can tell everyone else what to do. In God's kingdom, success isn't measured in worldly terms. And so as we, we jump into the next eight weeks or so looking at the Gospel of Luke, let us, let us press into Scripture, uh, uh, what these words tell us and teach us in the way in which we can live out our faith in Jesus. And let us be individuals that, that want to seek out those things. And may we be a community of believers that, that with all that we have, we, we come before the Lord in worship and adoration of all that he's done for us. Amen? Let's pray before we jump in. Loving Lord, as we, we explore your word today, would you reveal to, to us those things that you would impress on our hearts, that perhaps we need to reflect on, that perhaps we need to change in our lives. Father God, we, we come before you now with open hearts and open minds and pray that you might change us from the inside out. Loving Lord, would you be with us in these coming moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, if we're going to look at a book of the Bible, fair chance you're going to need a Bible. Hands up who's got a Bible with them today? A few? Actually, not too bad. Almost, I'm going to be as bold to say, better than the early service. (laughs) However, see, I prefer a Bible with actual pages that I can turn, and it sounds like this. But that's not really how the kids do it these days, is it? So we've probably got it on our phones or our iPads or I don't know. We, we come with big, big books, like whatever it takes. Bring your Bibles to church, people. Yeah? If we're going to be, be studying God's Word, bring your Bibles to church. And hey, if, if you haven't had the opportunity to get a Bible um, of your own, we'd love to give you one. It's that simple. There's really no excuse. And so next week, I'm preaching again. And I'm going to give you homework today. And so next week when I say, hey, it's time to, to open God's word, all I want to hear is like a ruckus across the room of everyone doing this. You up for the challenge? Yes. Nice. And so that being said, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke in our Bibles. Yes? Matthew, Mark, Luke. So we're going to have a look at Luke chapter 1 verse 1 where it says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. So straight up, in chapter 1 of Luke, from from the very first verses, we hear that these these, uh, have been handed down from first uh, eyewitness accounts, right? Luke isn't claiming to have been there. Though he lived at the time of Jesus, there's a fair chance he didn't cross paths with him. Luke isn't claiming to be there and have seen these things, yet is compiling an orderly account. It's like he's stepping back and saying, okay, some of you have told me lots of things, some of you have written them down, and the Gospel of Luke actually builds on Mark's Gospel, right? So it's like there's things that have not quite been captured in this account, there's things that might be missed over here, we want to get an orderly account, we want to bring all of this together. And so Luke was a doctor and a historian, so facts are his thing. He's he's really detailed and wants an accurate record so that this this gospel truth isn't lost. Luke journeyed around with uh, the Apostle Paul and and, um, continued to to spread the gospel far and wide, and he wanted this as an accurate record. We also note that in in verse 3, Luke is writing to, to this person called the most excellent Theophilus, Try and say that ten times in a row. And different scholars have different schools of thought about who Theophilus was. Maybe he was a Roman official. Maybe he was an actual guy who needed to hear this. But there's a different school of thought that suggests that maybe because the word Theophilus, the name Theophilus, means friend of God. It's like maybe Luke was saying, hey friends, listen up. Hey those that may not have heard yet, I want to tell you about this. We hear of Theophilus at the beginning of the book of Acts again. And Luke writes both these books. It's like volume one is Luke, volume two is Acts. 
And there's a picture of an artist's impression of what Luke looked like. There's lots of facts, but the one that I want you to take away today is look at that sick beard. (laughs) So good, so good. And so we begin at the, the, the start of the narrative of the Gospels. And so at the beginning of the narrative of Luke, the, the chosen nation of Israel are under the control of the Roman Empire, right? Their prophets had predicted a coming Messiah, a king that would save them and rule over them. Yet a tiny baby is born. And we learn this from, from Luke chapter 2 in very, very humble beginnings. This is the Christmas narrative, right? We hear it every time at Christmas time. A tiny baby born to a virgin in the back blocks of a village called Bethlehem somewhere. In the middle of the night, this baby is born into humility and obscurity. And as he grows up, it seems that the scripture doesn't capture much of his childhood. We hear about him in a temple when he's a young teenager. But, but for the most part, he just gets on with growing up as a boy. But by chapter 4, we see this young kid grow up into a man, about the age of 30, and he enters his public ministry. It must have seemed strange to the people at the time that the, the king, the Messiah that they were expecting, took the, the form of just this ordinary dude. And see, they were expecting this guy that would come in with force, with, with, with power that would overcome the Roman Empire. And he does. It all plays out, but in no way in the way that they would have expected. And so Jesus enters his public ministry and we pick it up in Luke chapter 4. And he's in the temple and he's sharing from the scrolls of Isaiah. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And now when we read these words, when when it says good news to the poor, we're not talking about someone who's run out of money, like we probably think nowadays, someone who is poor, maybe lacks money. But the word poor, this word in its original Hebrew, is a much broader category of people. See, it refers to people of of low social status in their culture. It might include people with disabilities. At the time, it might have included women and children, the elderly, those who might have been social outsiders for whatever reason, those, those people from other ethnic groups, people who made poor life choices that might have placed them outside of the community. And see, it doesn't take us too long to realise that we actually might fall into some of those categories. We, in fact, in biblical terms, might be poor. And Jesus says God's kingdom is especially good news for these people. See, this is yet another example where things seem upside down and back to front. The king, the Messiah, this Jesus in worldly terms, needed to be a a strong warrior to to defeat armies, to fight battles. He's more than able to do that, but he doesn't. He chooses to care for the poor. 
And so God takes this completely different approach, this approach of love, humility, care and service to one another. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack that, that journey, the, the life and ministry of Jesus and see how he does that and how we can use that as an example in the way in which we deal with people around us. See, there's, there's not much about Jesus' birth, his life and ministry, and his death and resurrection that makes worldly sense, right? It didn't make sense then, and it still doesn't make that much worldly sense to us today. Back when we were very uh, firstly married, we went on a trip to Japan, and it was before the time when you had smartphones that you could still you know, connect to internet and things. And we arrived at the airport late, late one night, and lots of different signs. Thankfully, in Tokyo, there's lots of English translations as well. We went on to the next place, which was further afield, and the English seemed to drop substantially as we got further away from the cities. And so we finally arrive at our hotel. We're so hungry after travelling. Everyone's just, you know, like in a really great mood. You know how, like, when you've been travelling all day, what, how things go? And all we wanted was just any kind of food. So we go to the, the hotel phone and there's like a Domino's menu, or at least it looks like that, but it's all Japanese characters and we don't really know how to interpret it. I try and pick up the phone thinking maybe, just maybe, they speak English on the other end. They do not. And so... We're getting to this point where we're starting to almost feel a bit panicked. It's like, I don't belong here. I don't know how to deal with any of this. I don't even know how to get food. What is going on? And it's like, you know, late at night after travelling. Perspective came into it the next day. We were fine. We were fine. But so late at night, we venture out into the back blocks of Japan somewhere, trying to find food. And it's like, hey... We're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is the most foreign place. I am sticking out like a sore thumb and everyone's watching us struggle. <laughs> I wonder if there's times when, when we feel like that in the kingdom of the world. When we feel like we don't quite fit, when we don't quite belong because of something we've done, the way we look, the way we act, an opinion we hold. Sometimes we just feel out of place. See, God created everything in perfect harmony and then it was broken, ruined by the sinfulness of humanity. And he will return it all to perfection one day. But in the meantime, we have this world around us where things just don't seem to be right. Reminds me of this quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, If I find myself if I find in myself desires which nothing of this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So my question today is, where do you belong? Where do you hold your citizenship? Is it your real home? See, we're in this place before Jesus returns where we need to straddle both of these kingdoms, right? Right? We need to have one foot in the world where there's so much brokenness, so much pain. Yet, as followers of Jesus, we have the ability to step into the kingdom of God and see the fullness of joy and love and acceptance. But see, these things at this point in time are not mutually exclusive. We have to deal with both of them at once. And that can be hard. And it can feel like we don't quite belong.
Jesus didn't come to this earth to tell people what to do. He came to serve, to place himself underneath everybody. What he did when he gave his life as a ransom for many proves an example to us. But see, do we fully follow Jesus in every aspect of our life? Are we willing to forgo those those things that, that are our own needs, our own desires, our own wants? Or does our pride take over? Because it means we lose control. It means that, that I have to give something up. It means that those things that I've stored up for me are no longer mine. And I have to give them to someone else. And that's hard. Maybe we do that with parts of our life. But can we, can we truly say that we, we bring before God our entire life and serve him with everything we have? See, it can be comfortable to straddle the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth because back here sometimes it's a bit more comfortable. See, it's our pride taking over, isn't it? It's that sinful nature. But isn't it comforting to know that no matter how many times we fail or don't get it right, that there is a God that sees you for who you truly are and doesn't hold you accountable for those ways that you don't measure up and holds you in such high esteem that he would give up his own life through his son Jesus, that saw you and said, you are worth it even though you don't get it right. I love you more than that. I am bigger than that. I am more powerful than that. And see, that's why we worship. That's why we come to this place. Whether it's through communion, whether it's through music, whether it's through the word, this is why we worship. Because the God who could defeat all the armies, the God who could come in with such, such anger and rage at all of the ways in which we don't measure up, that God throws it back at us in love and acceptance and joy. How good is that? He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. And that is why we come here. That is why we worship. And today, Jesus invites us to pursue a life with him. Not doing it in our own strength, but in his strength through us. If we want to do it well, if we want to do what Jesus calls us to do well, then we need to be someone who is willing to be a servant. Someone who is willing to put the needs of other people before their own. Reach out to those in our community who we consider biblically poor. It doesn't take very, very long to be able to find someone that needs Jesus in their life. Needs, needs a hand, needs support and love. Put yourself below other people. Be like Christ. Be a servant, a humble, lowly, kind and gentle servant to others just in the way Jesus has for you. Let's pray. Loving Lord, we, we thank you that a relationship with you means we can, can access the kingdom of heaven. 
where joy and love and peace abound, that no, no earthly thing can compare to the goodness and grace you provide. Lord, may we be individuals and people that, that, that put you first as the ultimate example of how we should treat others. That no matter what power we hold, no matter what position we hold, that we are simply called to love and serve one another. Father God, would we be on the lookout? Would you highlight to us those people that might be considered biblically poor? They might be out in the street. They might be in the pew next to us. Father God, would you see them? Would you, would you draw us to them so that we may be your example, that we might shine your light into their life, that they may be able to experience the kingdom of God that you have prepared for them? Loving Lord, would you hear our humble hearts right now and transform us into your image? Lord God, would you be with us as we go? In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.